Liz, whenever I'm with groups of young people, I'll often get the question, hey, what does it take to become a manager? How do I move up? How do I step into a role that's bigger than the one I've got? Great question. And so I thought maybe we could share a couple of thoughts we had about ways that might happen. Or not. Indeed, or not. So my first question is always, why on earth do you want to be a manager? Yeah. Right? I don't often hear people say, I want to be a manager. I hear people say, I want to get promoted. So I kind of understand why yep. everyone wants to get promoted. Being a manager is a different kettle of fish. People will say things like, hey, look, I'd like more money. Of course. I want a better parking space. <laughs> okay. It's more prestigious somehow. I get it. But then I know they're going to be in trouble because those are external motivators. They're not about, I want to do this job. And so I would contrast that with, I like helping make people successful. Mm -hmm. I like thinking kind of big picture and strategically, and I'd like to apply that to our work. I like having a larger impact and the direction of the business and the work we do. Yeah, yeah, I can see that one. Those are things that say to me, this is somebody who wants to really step up. They're ready to think differently and they're ready to act differently. Mm -hmm. But if you're hearing, I just want it for these external validation reasons. That's a red flag. They're going to be really unhappy. Mm -hmm. From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. You know, Larry, on last Monday's show, it was all about new bosses. This week is super exciting because it's going to be about how to become a boss. Aha. Uh -huh. And I, rumor has it that you're a coach. <laughs> rumor, <And> <laughs> rumor has it correct. <laughs> I am hoping that I will be able to learn a few things today. And we have an interview, we have callers, and we even have an in-studio coachee from our own company. We're going to kick this off with a question from a listener who represents thousands of would-be managers all over the world. Let's call him Nathan. Nathan says, I've been at my company for almost two years as an analyst. I work hard, I've had great performance reviews, and my boss likes me. I know that two years is about the time when people are either put on the, quote, management track, or as Liz would call it, the individual contributor track. And I want to make sure I'm put on the former, not the latter. Mm -hmm. Now, Liz, maybe you could explain what the individual contributor track was. Again. Right. In a previous episode, I was talking about that. Sometimes people just get parked on the side because they may be really good at their job and what they're currently doing, but you don't really see leadership potential in them or they're hard to work with or they're just a lot of reasons why nobody wants to put them in charge of other people. And I was in a company where that was called. That made you an individual contributor. Yeah. So it's kind of an unspoken categorization that the employee mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily know about. Exactly. Right? Okay. So Nathan continues. I'm one of four analysts in my department. We have similar experience in education. Everybody's smart and hardworking. Well, at least most of them. And there's probably going to be room for only one of us to be promoted. So how do I improve my chances of being that one? And what do I do if I'm not chosen? Well, Nathan, let's start with this. Let's put performance aside, because lots of times the decision about who's going to get promoted, it's not totally to do with performance, especially if you describe a scenario where you have four analysts all performing at a high level. It means the decision will likely be made on other things than straight performance. So I think about my experience as a boss. These were the things I always looked for. Number one, does the person show an understanding of the difference between tactics and strategy? Because in order to lead people, you don't need to know so much about exactly what to do. You need to be able to understand and articulate why we are doing this. Yeah. 
And that is strategy. That's not tactics. Someone that understands why we're doing this, what the purpose of the exercise is, I'm looking for that person. Second, I'm looking for the person with the emotional intelligence to work constructively with people above them, people beside them, and people under them, because I want someone that everyone in the company is going to want to work with. Which of these four people is going to work best in the organization overall and create less work for me, right? Because remember, the boss is purely selfish about choosing things (laughs) that are less work for the boss. It doesn't make them bad people. (laughs) It doesn't make them bad people, no. And then the third thing is, are they intellectually curious? We work in a time of enormous change, no matter what industry you're in. So your job is going to change enormously in a way that none of us can predict. I can't tell you, Nathan, what your job is going to be. I don't know what my job is going to be. So I need to kind of sort through who are the people that have the curiosity and the mental flexibility to roll with whatever the future brings. You need to be inventing the future. It's not like you're going to get promoted into a job and you're going to get a list, Nathan. Okay, here are the five things we need you to do for the rest of your life. No, I need people that are flexible and curious and are just going to figure it out. Some of them, you know, and these are things that, Nathan, you have to show these skills. I would recommend finding ways to show these skills to a boss, which isn't easy. I'm not saying that's easy. I think, I think Nathan, there's some really good news here. So you're doing one of the things that high performers tend to do in general. They're thinking ahead and they're planning ahead. Right. And that is smart. I think there's several things I do right now. One is a little bit related, Liz, to what you just said, which is look to start to lead right now, informally, right, right? Mm -hmm. without a title. There are always meetings that need to be called, problems that need somebody to own them, to coordinate them. Uh, Summaries need to be put together. You don't have to wait. Some of the best people, they look at it and they say, hey, look, we've really got a problem over here. You go to your boss and maybe your coworkers and say, hey, should we pull together three people and try and tackle that? I'd be happy to coordinate that. Mm -hmm. You're showing leadership. Related to that is volunteer. Volunteer to coordinate things. Volunteer to go have conversations that perhaps your group or department needs to have with other departments. Represent your group outside of your own group. You're showing yourself to be proactive. You're showing yourself to be courageous. And I would add, if there are tough things that need to happen there where you need to push back on an internal client or an external client, Be the one who volunteers. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah. So don't just volunteer for the easy stuff, you know, the company picnic kind of stuff. Volunteer to take care of trouble. Again, bosses selfishly just want someone who's going to do more of the hard work. And there is not a boss anywhere who cannot relate to having said, why can't they just look at the problem and do something about the problem, right? (laughs) They're telling you every boss feels Uh the same way. And then the last thing is speaking up. And we talk about this all the time. You can let your boss know you're interested. And in fact, it is critical to say, hey, look, I'm really interested in doing X, Y, Z, or I want to move in such and such a direction. Here are some of the things that I think I need to get better at and I need to work on. So you're showing that you've done some of that thinking. Mm -hmm. You're not just coming to them and saying, so what should I do? You're bringing it check that with them and then ask them maybe for one other thing that they would recommend where you could deepen your skills, broaden your skills that would allow you to be a better fit for that new role. Now, you can advocate for yourself and still be a team player. I'm not talking about me versus everybody else. No, I totally agree. Right. And then the last thing is leaders are a pleasure when they're mature. 
Mm-hmm. They don't sit around and gossip. They don't engage in the kind of conversation that we've had people say, I hate being involved in this conversation. They pull themselves out of it. Yeah. They don't put themselves in that position. And one of the ways you show you're growing and maturing is you own your mistakes. Own them out loud. You don't try and defend. You don't try and say, well, here's why I did that. You just own it. Those are all really good things on maturity. And I like that that word, Larry, because it's not really how old you are anymore. Nobody nobody cares how old you are. You can be like a super immature 40-year-old or a very mature 25-year-old. And if I'm the boss, I'm going to pick the one who has the maturity to be a good leader, to not undermine their colleagues, exactly. to represent our department well in the rest of the company and our company well in the rest of the world. So just thinking about your overall presentation from a maturity point of view is really key, Larry. That's a good one. Hey, Nathan, we wish you the best of luck. Hope you got a couple of gems here. Joining us on today's episode is Jordan Harbinger. Among many other things, he's the co-host of the podcast, The Art of Charm, which is so much fun to listen to. It's a show that's all about social dynamics and relationships, which, you know, most of the workplace is that. And he's here to share his wisdom about how to become a boss. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. It's funny, how to become a boss might be a little bit of a loose thing there because, look, I technically am. However, man, I got to tell you, being the boss is one of my least favorite parts about being employed at a company that I own. So tell me, I mean, what makes it least favorite to you? Being your own boss is a heck of a lot of responsibility that, frankly, a lot of us are not cut out to have. And I had to develop a lot of different habits that I did not have that took years. And I think, frankly, the business Art of Charm was just lucky enough to survive during that transition period where I had to learn those lessons. First things first, I used to be an attorney. So it's not like I was I woke up on my mom's couch and decided like I should start my own company, <laughs> be yes. my own boss. Good. You know, Good. I had worked on Wall Street, I'd worked in the UK in uh, Canary Wharf. I was around hustlers and things like that. My bosses were characters. Some of them were amazing, some of them were the worst people ever. However, everybody was highly highly qualified and such a high performer and for me to then go start my own business with my business partner AJ, I thought I'm I'm good. I went to law school, I worked on Wall Street. This is all going to be great. I know how to work hard. I mean, that's how I got here in the first place. It took me months and months and months before I really had self-discipline. It's not just about having a to-do list. It's not about having the right scheduling software. It's about really living on your calendar. If it's on your calendar, it gets done. And if it's not on your calendar, just as importantly, perhaps more importantly, it does not get done because those things tend to be like water. That was discipline I just wasn't ready for at that time. Yeah. You know what I find, Jordan, is that if I have 10 things to do in a day, I will get 10 things done. But if I have two things to do in a day, I might not get anything done. That I'm better off just like back to back to back planning things and then having big chunks of off time. So for me, it's not so much about management, but about momentum. But everyone is a little bit different that way. So one of the things that you teach at The Art of Charm is so much about projecting leadership, how to really put yourself out there. For people that want to say, like, I want to be the boss, I want to be recognized as a leader, what skills do they really need to master? It sort of depends on the size of the business, in my opinion. I've got friends that run larger companies, 100 plus employees. Mostly there there has to be systems in place and stick with them and they don't play favorites and that the office is running in a very 
predictable way. I was trying to avoid using that word, but mm-hmm. predictability is really good in organizations that are larger because people feel secure and that has worked really well for them. However, in a very small business, really it comes down to almost exclusively leading by example. There was a time when things weren't working out so well for AOC where it would go, all right, you guys need to do this and you need to do that. It was kind of do as I say, not as I do. And we had plenty of people bullying other people through email while on vacation, and that didn't go over so well. So let me ask you one specific thing. If someone writes to you and they have been passed over for a promotion or did not get a job that they expected to land, how do you counsel people to bounce back from something like that. Can you really learn resiliency or in your case, can you teach it? Yeah, this is a tough one because it's not just about resilience. It's not just about, let's say, grit and getting back up again. You're going to want to ask why. And the answer will always, always, always yield something. Right. If you find out you haven't been promoted because you don't have soft skills like communication because you're an engineer and you're really great at coding, but they need a team leader. Now you know what you need to work on. And most of the time, the company can't wait to teach you those skills if you're willing to learn. Agreed. So if you've got people who are really looking to get more responsibility, right, and step up inside of an organization, right, what would be two things that you would tell them, this is the smartest stuff you can do to be seen as a high performer and somebody who's ready to take on more and or what would you say two things specifically not to do like what are danger things also i'll start with what to do managing expectations and having great communication is something that most people in any organization are not that good at and what i mean by managing expectations is if somebody assigns a project and then A week later, they go, oh, yeah, I wonder how that project is going. And they have to chase you down. And then finally you get back and you go, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, 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 I'm still working on that. Right. That's not a satisfactory management of expectations. Agreed. What what I want to hear as an employer is... I want to say, hey, Bob, can you make sure that all these blog posts are categorized properly and let me know which ones you think we should delete that are off brand? I want to see a Google Doc share invite show up in my inbox that has all of the blog posts and notes next to each one. This we should delete. Here's why. This one seems like it's not categorized correctly. Here's why. Here's the new categories that I think it should be done. Do the work for me. Do the work so that any question I have, you've already thought that I might have had that. Do a little bit of thinking for me and then come up with the answers. Let me tell you, what I used to do is, okay, so I got this project and I got to do this legal brief. All right, it's due next week. Okay, great. I have five days to do this plus the weekend. I'm going to do a ton of research today. Then tomorrow, I'm going to scribble down some notes and an outline. Day after that, I'm going to do a draft. Then I'm going to go over the draft. And then on day five, that person who assigned that to me goes, Jordan, uh, what's going on, man? I assigned you something a while ago. Yeah, yeah, I thought you said you needed it Monday. I do, but you know, have you started it yet? I'm freaking mm-hmm. out here. It's Friday afternoon. Right. This is a five-day project. So then you show them the work and they go, oh, you've done a lot of this. That's great. Why didn't you say so? And the answer is, I didn't want to bother you or right, you right, know, I wasn't right. sure. And of course, the reason that that's even worse is because in the past, I've also not bothered my bosses with things like that and then found out I need the research and I like them all linked in a certain way. So you just wasted two days. Now you got to stay all night because I need this done a totally different way. Had you told me that this is what you were doing, I would have saved you 18 hours of work, buddy. I think one thing we all agree, the three of us sitting here, one of the keys to getting ahead is 
doing the work before anyone asks you to and getting it done before they need it done. Jordan, before we let you go, let's answer a listener question. All right. I work at one of those big four accounting firms. I've also recently moved countries from South Africa to Ireland. Very cool. And so I'm adjusted to both a new work culture as well as a load of new information and processes in my job. The place where I work is super hierarchical, and I report to a boss who is a great person and a technical guru at what he does. However, I am struggling to build up a friendly relationship and rapport with this person. I have very little opportunity to chat to him about anything other than the immediate task at hand during the day, and because of this, it's difficult to build a bridge with him. There's also a very obvious generational gap between us. He's also the person who will decide whether I stay on long term at this company. And so because of this, I'm finding that I generally get really nervous whenever I do have a chance to speak to him at any event. I'm lacking confidence when I approach him. And this is coming across in my discussions with him, which reflects poorly on my performance. It turns into this downward spiral. Would you have any recommendations as to what I can do to forget my nerves when I'm trying to engage in a conversation with this person? A lot is riding on me forming a good working relationship with my boss. Kind regards, Bean Counter. What do you make of that? Yeah, look, he's being very wise by recognizing that the relationship with his boss is critical. It is. Always is. I also hear a lot of angst in his words about, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely critical and we've got to bond together. And it can be very difficult to do that with very different backgrounds and circumstances. The thing I would tell him to chill out on is there are a lot of people who need way less in a work relationship to feel trust and respect, way less. And my sense is his bar is a lot higher than his boss's is. I pretty much guarantee you your boss is not sitting around thinking about his relationship with you nearly as much as you are. <laughs> so yeah. true. And the other side of this is, look, this person is a technical guru. That means you've got a wonderful opportunity to not only pick this person's brain, but also allow them to feel helpful by passing on their wisdom and knowledge. So I'd find some things that are interesting to you where you feel like you'd like to learn more and say, hey, look, you've probably done this a ton. I don't really get it. Or I'd love your advice about how you approach X, Y, Z. That creates connection. Right. You know, it's so interesting to me how many questions we get that really come down to people being able to present themselves and their work with confidence, just simple confidence building. And I know you do a lot of training in that area, Jordan, so you must see that all the time. Like, they know what they're doing, they're good at their job, but they just sort of start quivering like a bowl of jelly when they have to talk to someone who is their superior. And I agree with you, Larry, like, this is not a boss who's interested in personal sharing and caring. So you try to engage someone in chit chat, but you do the chit and they've got no chat, right? <laughs> so my strategy in the past with bosses like this is to really try to be ready when you see them to tell a specific story about something that you've worked on or something that you want to ask them about. Don't feel like, oh, any day now we're going to get all warmed up and we're going to start, you know, let's talk about the baseball season or what you did over the weekend. That is not going to happen. Just try to, like, take a couple of deep breaths and think to yourself, next time I bump into him, here's something I want to either ask him or tell him and leave it at that. I agree with you there, especially in the United Kingdom work culture. When I worked in London at a law firm, one day on a Friday, I was taking the elevator down from the, whatever, 14th floor to the ground floor, and there was a very high-level senior partner in the elevator with me. And, of course, he's 
is always wearing a very sharp three-piece suit no matter what time and what day it is because he's an old English lawyer. Very you know? Savile Row. Yes. And he says, oh, good afternoon or something like this, right? And I said, oh, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Heading out? And he says, uh, yes, I'm heading home. And I said, oh, got anything planned for the weekend? Uh, well, I have a fishing cabin. I'll probably go there. Great. Well, and have a great time. We'll see you on Monday. On Monday... I was called into my partner, my supervising partner's office immediately, and he said, did you have a conversation with, uh, I, I don't remember his name, Mr. Griffiths on the elevator on the way down? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a weird way to get complimented on my social skills, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so much for the art of charm. Yeah. This is, you know, years and years ago, before, of course, before AOC in my past life as an attorney, and he said, this is hard to explain because you're American, but- Mr. Griffiths has worked very hard to get where he is. Very, very hard. And I said, yeah, uh, okay. And they Mm -hmm. said, so when people talk to him in a way that isn't the same way that he would be expecting someone to talk with him, it really makes him feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that, to me, was British speak for how dare you talk informally with this guy who is way up <laughs> mm-hmm. food chain. Just <laughs> shut up and stare at the buttons and go home and, you know, nobody cares what you're doing this weekend and you shouldn't care what he's doing this weekend. And that, for me, as an American, was so foreign because I was very tempted with Bean Counter to give him these little rapport-building tips and how to not be so outcome-dependent when he talks to his boss and things right. like that. But I think also that typical American advice about being comfortable by acting as if might actually backfire in a case like yeah, this. That's interesting. We are so damn friendly. (laughs) And some countries that just does not play well or in some work situations. We feel like everyone's going to want to talk to us. Why do you bloody yank smile all the time? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And to me, I'm still not totally sure what I did wrong there. I mean, I get it at an academic level that he felt somehow disrespected that I had the gall to actually speak with him as if I were also a human being. However, You know, look, obviously that was something that everybody else at that firm understood. For me, if you sat, if you were in New York and you were leaving and it was 5, 6, 7 p.m. and there was a managing partner in that elevator and you said, "Uh, I'm going to stare at my Blackberry and not say hello to you, you wouldn't be called into anybody's office, but they would be thinking, that's a weird associate. How wouldn't he not say hi? He knows who I am. What a weird kid. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on I Hate My Boss today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Jordan, thank you. Before we start our next segment, we have a quick reminder for all of you. We're working on an episode about how to negotiate the salary, vacation time, or raise that you deserve. Whether you're in the middle of the interview process or you've been with the same company for years, we're here to help you negotiate for yourself in the best way possible. And we want your questions about how to do so. And we won't require any commission. That's the great (laughs) news. We really love it when we get those questions as a voicemail. You can call us at 424-224-5711. In case you missed that, the number's in the episode notes. If talking on the phone isn't your thing, no worries. You can also reach us by email at IHateMyBoss at Wondery.com. All right, Larry. So we've been talking about what it really takes to get ahead and be the boss and get promoted. So now we're actually going to help someone who's in the room with us. Joining us for some How to Become the Boss coaching is Wondery's very own 
Caro Chaklasian. Very Caro, own. Welcome to I Hit My Boss. I know we see you out in the hall, but yeah. this is first time in the studio with yeah, us. Yeah, no, this is very exciting. Thank Great you. Great to for, be with uh, you. So, Carl, for context, um, can you tell us a little bit about your work history here and the role that you play? <laughs> sure. So, I am the director of audience acquisition. So, my job is to, well, acquire more audiences uh, through marketing and any sort of kind of cross promotional activities. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, having Jordan on or uh, us being on. Um, a different podcast, so that usually goes through me. Gotcha. And you had questions about about being a manager, yeah. becoming a manager, really right. stepping into that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my background has really been in um, working at startups. And with that, there's never really a structure and there's never really, um, you know, this is your role for right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, right now, this is very much a, a startup-esque environment, right? Right. Um, right? And there's a lot going on. So for like, a, I guess, a mid-tier um, manager, like what sort of things should one be aware of um, when entering into that role? Well, look, as you said, especially coming from a startup world where things are way less structured, it's a really obvious question because it's like, hey, look, we just get stuff done and everything. Yeah. I mean, the fluidity of that can be really great, though, because it allows you to step in to work where you can contribute without formally being asked to do it. Yeah. And yet, as a manager, the question is, how do you best serve them? How do you get the job done? And what's your role in that? And so here's my question. I mean, as you think about being in that leadership role, how does it strike you? Do you get excited about that? Do you get anxious about it? Well, obviously both. Okay. Um, I think um, one of my favorite things is getting people together underneath kind of like one mission and goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then most importantly, seeing those people really happy, right? So if I could possibly get them to be happy about this one mission and goal, that's really exciting for me. And obviously that brings a ton of anxiety because it's like, oh man, these people are kind of looking at me to, to create that environment, right? Or at least contribute to the creation of that environment. Sure. So one of the things I'm noting as I listen to your language and I look in your face as you're saying this is kind of the heaviness of that that yeah. you feel like I'm responsible for creating it. Right. Being responsible for people it's, uh, it's just the hardest thing about <laughs> yeah. work. Everyone wants to be successful. Everyone wants to get promoted. Everyone wants to make more money. But then you start to be responsible for people. It is hard and sometimes terrifying. Yeah. And one of the things that we've talked about on this show a number of times is as a manager, a supervisor, you've got two jobs, right? right? Driving towards a mission, things that need to be accomplished in your group. And then the other part of that is working with the people who are part of achieving that. And so you're paying attention to the personal issues. You're making sure people are doing things in an appropriate way. They're right. playing well together. But also you're giving them feedback. You're coaching them. How do you think about that part of it? Um, I mean, to me, it's like a duh, right? Yeah. Like uh, you're going to have to have those conversations because there are assignments and the assignment has to get done. That's fine. But I, I guess uh, being younger in a startup-esque environment that's like new, it just kind of happens naturally. There's not really like a moment of... Uh, to to breathe, and then you yes. have to like a crossing on over it. ceremony where you go from being <laughs> just yeah. you to be being <laughs> able to manage something, right? And like I assume maybe in other kind of corporations that's far more clear, right? So some sort of like uh, you have been promoted to. Uh, manager role. And now, uh, because you are at manager role, (laughs) you should be doing X, Y, and Z, right? But obviously, in certain environments, it's not very clear. It's kind of like you just have to do it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, I'm managing right now, right? So do you worry about overstepping your bounds? Yeah. 
That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so that that lack of clarity makes you wonder, if, am I going too far? Exactly. Am I not going far enough? Exactly. Ah. I, I mean, how is it in like other corporations? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, is well, it, is it, or what's that line? Right? So here's two observations I'd make just with my coach hat on. Oh, One yeah. is you feel so on the spot when you're leading early in your career. You do feel like everything is resting on your shoulders. Right. More than it is. Yeah. Right. Like likely. it's a collegial cooperative place. And yes, you're being held to standards and you should take it seriously. But often the danger is taking it too seriously right. and causing yourself angst yeah. where you don't really need to have it. Like if you're stuck to be able to reach out and say, hey, is this a direction I should be going? Hey, I think I want to actually go do this, this, and this. Does that sound like that would be helpful? Whether that's with a peer, whether mm -hmm. that's with a direct report, right. or whether that's with your boss. So would you say like uh, essentially building or finding for uh, like almost like a feedback loop? Absolutely. Well, that's slightly comforting. Liz, what would you what would you add? I'm just thinking if I can think of cases in my past where people who have been working for me did too much. And it's very rare Got it. that, Such a great you know, point. I'm just really trying to think like occasionally if somebody goes out and spends some crazy amount of money on something like for me as a boss. I want people to take initiative, be creative, do all of those things. Where I feel like there needs to be some very formal check-in is spending of money, hiring of people. But if you're managing your projects and trying things in a new way, I don't think you need to be afraid of that. I think if there's anything we've already discussed like three times in different ways in today's <laughs> episodes that, you know, bosses want people to take on work, go out there and solve the problems and not be a total pain. So don't spend all the cash yes. and don't hire a bunch of random people. Okay? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Can I also ask, yeah. because people use management and manager in so many different sure. ways, there's managing projects and then there's managing people. Right. When you call yourself a manager or you say you want to be a manager, Manager. Do you want both of those things? Is managing people something that you really aspire to? Because you can manage a lot of great projects and not have a staff reporting to you. Um, personally, I think the management of people is far more exciting than the project. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the project, it's like, oh, man, like this was due last it's week. It's just another <laughs> show, this I hate my boss yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is it about managing people? that gets you excited? I mean, obviously your face lights up when yeah. you say it. I think it's knowing that my intention is to provide a great kind of work experience mm -hmm. for the other individual. The fact that like, oh, I'm going into this trying to make this other person's life slightly better for something as terrible as like work. Right? <laughs> so. so what about the flip side of that? And we talked a little bit about those times when you need to provide feedback. There are those other times where you're not going to make their day very happy in the moment <laughs> because you've got to call them on something that, yeah. that's in the, again in their best interest right what do you think about when you think about having that conversation oh um <laughs> I've always thought, um, at least from my experiences, the best way it's always been delivered to me was very clear, right? So it's like, this is what went wrong. That That's it, right? And it, it could ruin someone's day. I mean, definitely I've been in the sure. situation of like, this fell apart. <laughs> Where were you, bud? But I, I think it's okay to have those conversations, especially knowing how I would love for those conversations to be set up, right? Let's understand what mistakes we made today to see how we could adjust and prevent those mistakes from happening again tomorrow. Sure. Right? At least I think that's the way one should approach that. Until the person says, oh, let me do a little role playing here with you, Carl. 
throw until the person says, well, that wasn't my fault. You didn't tell me to do right. that. That's the stuff you have to learn. Right. I'm not expecting you to know how to answer that. No, no. I mean, I mean, right. So my whole thing, it's kind of like, um, like, I hear you, right? Like, the point of this conversation is something went wrong, right? So let's acknowledge what went wrong, mm-hmm. whether it's you telling me that I, I didn't tell you that. Like, that's fine. That's one thing of, I'm sure, many things that led to you know, this project or the, this event going sour. I think Larry's ready to promote you right now. Oh, so I was just, first of all, high five, high five. Here's what I loved. I'll give you very specifically what I loved about what you said. You said, hey, look, I hear you and you're right. The person on the other side wants to be heard, but then you don't take the bait. You bring it right back to, and I want to talk about this thing that didn't go well so we can get it back on track and have the kind of conversations we like to have. That's really skillful. That's bullfighting, right? You don't take the cape. You go right at it. A plus. <laughs> and then the other side of that is what you did when I asked you to go to a situation, you did the smartest thing you can do, which is, so when somebody's done that with me, given me developmental feedback, what was the best way they did that? That is a great model. Now, by the way, that may not be the answer for everybody, (laughs) but it's sure going to get you 70 or 80 percent of the way down the road, right? Let me ask you this. If you think about, and my sense is, I know you a bit, but I don't know you terribly well. You're smiley. You're friendly. I always get kind of this up person. And I hear you as you're talking about, you're talking about listening to people's experiences. You're talking about emotional intelligence, which tells me when it comes to managing and working with people, you're going to pay a lot of attention to the relationship and the feelings involved. Great news, great tool. The flip side of that, though, right, is the business side. Like bringing the hard results, even being confident to make decisions and drive forward without getting permission. This is my observation, and you can feel free to say, you know what, Larry, I don't feel that way at all. (laughs) What would you say if you had to say, here are the two things I really know I need to be better at? A, as a professional just doing my job, and then B, as a leader of people. What? Well, I, I I think it's I, number one, time management, right? Mm-hmm. I think like, my goodness, in this universe of just a thousand things are in front of you and then prioritizing that, trying to assess what is a priority and how to allocate the proper time. Like, oh, this is going to take me an hour to do. No, it's going to take three to four hours to do, <laughs> right? Um, and then adjusting and pivoting when those one hour assignments turn into four hour assignments. So I think that's um, where my difficulty lies in is pivoting correctly and and adjusting when um, time becomes very constrained. So is Carl ready to graduate, Larry? There's your A, not your B. Cool. Thank you, Carl. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's a pleasure trying to grow your show. <laughs> yes. Thank yeah, you for cool. doing that. Absolutely. Really nice to work with you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Okay. Our last question comes to us from Boss Dreaming in Boston, who, although he loves his job, is concerned about his opportunities to move up the ranks. He writes, I've been working on the development team at a small nonprofit for the past six years, and I've loved basically every aspect of my time here, from my coworkers to the work that I'm doing. I started out as a volunteer for the organization, and within three months, I was brought on in an entry-level position. Since then, I've moved from being an assistant to an associate, and I've capably handled my growing responsibilities. But there's one thing that I'm a little concerned about. Practically no one ever leaves the company. Oh. For the most part, this is great because, like I said, I love my coworkers. But the managers of my department have been here for decades, and they show no signs of slowing down. 
So the odds of a managerial position opening up here are slim to none. And I know that's something I want to achieve soon in my career. So my question is this, is it worth it to look for a management position within a different company, knowing full well that I probably won't be as happy there? Or should I put my boss fantasies on hold and stay where I'm at? Okay, a couple of things there. One, do not assume that just because a lot of things are good in your current job, that moving somewhere else, the grass is going to be browner, <laughs> right? And you're not going to, yes, I'm right. never going to be as happy as I am now. Yeah. I challenge that. That's, that's an mm -hmm. easy conclusion to come to. I would also say, trust your gut. And I'm a big one for this. If you suspect already that this place is not going to make you happy over the long term, listen to yourself. Right? You are very wise to look at. How long are people staying here? Are people moving around? How does growth happen? If you're seeing it's way, way slower than you're used to and people aren't moving on, and you know that growth is really important to you, I would start to look. The sad human truth is that people often remain where they are because they're afraid of what's going to come, and it takes a lot of pain in the current world before they move beyond the fear of the change. It's a path to unhappiness, and I really don't want them to do that, and I think they know they shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, boss dreaming, when you say, should I put my boss fantasies on hold, I immediately want to jump out and say, no, never put your fantasies on hold. Right. But understand that a fantasy is a leap. The details of your story really struck me because the fact that you started out as a volunteer for this organization tells me that you are mission-driven and you are very aligned with the mission of the organization. So that is a beautiful thing. And that can be hard to replicate. I mean, just to be perfectly honest, you know, I'm with Larry. The, the grass isn't always browner, but sometimes it is. So it's good that you're sensitive to that. However, if I was in the same place for years working with the same people and the years started to repeat themselves and that the cycle of my work and actually what I was doing did not change, I would not be happy there. Not everyone is like that. Some people love being in the same place for 30 years and it's love their teams. Yes. I guess the very fact, Boss Dreaming, that you wrote to us and you're asking these questions makes me feel like you are ready to move. That's the indicator that you're not going to be satisfied just sort of hunkering down for a long-term career in one place. So that's, I think that's the clue that Larry and I both got from your letter. So I think Larry's right. Your, your gut is telling you something. Good luck, Boss Dreaming. Good luck. Go ahead. Be the boss. So, Liz, as we look back on the show today, one of the things that stood out to me was deciding that I want to be a boss is the first step to becoming one, right? Right. right. Just, yeah. Really just deciding, I want to do it. And then I would take us back to that whole notion of why do you why want do to you do, want to do this? it? Right. I think you have to ask yourself, do I want to be a boss or be a manager? Because that's just my expectation that I'm going to just keep more, more, more. Or are there skills or part of that work experience that actually is appealing to me? Getting promoted is different than being a leader. Uh, that's a really and good point. 
You could have a path to get promoted, but you might not be good at being a leader or even like being a leader. We hardly had any time to talk about the people that actually don't love all the responsibility that comes with that. So just be very clear with yourself. Or maybe you have to try it before you really know. I don't know. That is the thing that we didn't get to talk about. And I I get people who come to me when I used to teach management and leadership courses. People would come up to me at lunch or at the end of the day, and they'd kind of confess, after going through all of this, I really realize I I don't want to lead people. And I would look at them and I would say, congratulations (laughs) and good for you. And I mean that in that leading people is no badge of honor. It's not a better job than anybody else's. Doing individual contributor work that has heart in it and has meaning, that's just as valuable as leading people. It's just a job. No, I agree with you. But the truth is, in the hierarchy of a company, they're not the same. In a hierarchy, the people put more value on like, oh, I have three people reporting to me. Now I have 20 people reporting to me. Now I have three departments and it's 112 people. You know, so society Society or business culture puts a value on how many people you have stacked up underneath you. But that's very different. And whether or not you're good at it or you find it satisfying. And ignore what they say and look at your gut and say, if it doesn't feel like that's going to be satisfying to you, go find the thing that is and go Mm -hmm. do that. Before I was ever a boss, I would always say to myself, well, if I was the boss, I would do it this way. And if I were the boss, I would do it. And it was (laughs) all, a lot of it was very kind of touchy-feely stuff. Like when I'm the boss, I'm going to have breakfast with my department once a week. And we're really just going to have a lot of quality time together. (laughs) And that would just be so much better. And then you become the boss and you realize like, oh, who's got time for that Who's got time nonsense? for breakfast? <laughs> they can buy their own breakfast. <laughs> yes, right. No, you when you're not <laughs> juggling all the things that bosses are juggling, yeah. when you're the person being managed by a boss, you have a very narrow window yep. on what that person's responsibilities yep. are. And then once you get there, it can be hugely satisfying and exciting. It I don't sure make, can be. need to make it sound like a bad thing. I mean, what you have to learn about yourself if you want to be a boss is – Do I really take pleasure in other people's accomplishments or do I mainly care about my own? We'd love to hear your thoughts about our show. So please take our audience survey at wondery.com slash survey. If you're listening on a smartphone, just tap the cover art to see the episode notes and you'll find a link to the survey right there. You'll also find our phone number and some great offers from our sponsors. If you want to support the show, always go to casper.com slash boss, blueapron.com slash boss, ziprecruiter.com slash boss, and audible. Dot com. Liz? Slash boss, Larry. This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister, and Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engaged Leadership. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton. Special consultant, Julia Smith. Produced by Cameron Kell. Executive producer, Jeffrey Glazer. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, people, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. 